Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, good morning, everybody. I am delighted to welcome uh, Andy Patterson to the Bible and Me podcast today. Andy is a pastor, a missionary, a preacher, an author, a lecturer, a TV and radio host and presenter, a church planter. And these just to name a few of his many talents. Uh, His joy is to research and develop the planting of churches throughout the UK and in unreached areas, particularly He loves to preach the Bible and does so with warmth, clarity, accuracy and application. He enjoys watching sport, playing the drums and the guitar badly, he says, strategy games and travel. He's married to Kath. Together they have a daughter, Rebecca, and a son, Stephen. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nigel. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a delight. So, Andy, how did you come to faith in Christ and why... Are you a follower of Jesus? I I was one of those who was really blessed to have been brought up in a Christian home. My father was a minister. In fact, my grandfather was a minister. So in the sense of having the brownie points to get you to heaven, as one might think, then I was doing really well. But uh, my my father, being a good gospel man, from an early age, I realised that actually my uh, ancestry did me no good for getting into heaven it had to be by personal faith in Christ and so it was as a a a young kid I remember it was a Sunday school anniversary my dad was pastoring a church in Ilford which was northeast London and it wasn't my dad preaching it was another guy and I suppose it confirmed the things that I'd heard my dad say Uh, and I just realized that I, I wanted to be a friend with Jesus and so Uh, I can remember that Sunday afternoon saying this to my dad, my dad taking me. We went into the front room. I knelt down and asked Jesus to be my my Lord and Saviour. And I I know it'd be very easy with that sort of story for people to say it was childish and it was because your dad was a minister, you know, parental influence. And no doubt some of that came into play, you know, but I do know that I became a Christian then. I I know that there was a change worked by God because I was just simply trusting him. It wasn't childish. It was childlike. And I would say it was then over following years, as one grows, develops, as one thinks more, that you go about putting it to the test. Does, Does this actually work? Is it real? And owning it for yourself. And I think for many of us who have come to Saving Faith as young kids, there is a probably a later time where you very consciously, very deliberately own the Christian faith for yourself. Uh, and that that certainly happened where, I, you know, as we maybe will come on to, I had an interest in history. So you're looking at stuff. Is this real? Is this true? Does it bear out? And I was quite happy to put the Christian faith and the Bible to scrutiny and was working yeah you know intellectually this is 
true this is satisfying uh, but then also the other issue that was coming in was emotionally does does this work does it actually impact my life uh, does it make a difference to who i am and how i am and uh, you know was able to see yeah this is this is true this this uh, this really works so it, it's been one of those great delights i'm so grateful for god's saving grace uh, in my life fantastic you remind me of those uh, verses in uh, 2 timothy chapter 1 where where obviously paul is writing to timothy and he commends him for the faith um that his grandmother lois had and his mother eunice had and uh you know that that if you like um yeah you're fortunate to have had that so many so many yeah. don't um yeah. what age were you when you when um you got to that point where you said i wanted to be a friend of jesus how old were you it was six i was i i recently turned six so very young i know but but i remember it i remember it well and i know that what happened subsequently was was building on that yeah brilliant um childlike commitment yeah. to want to follow jesus brilliant so why are you why are you a follower why have you been, continued to be a follower of him because um I, 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 as maybe i was just trying to indicate Nigel, it's it it's true it, it's true intellectually as i've okay. researched things this is yeah this isn't fantasy this isn't myth mm. uh this is based on solid truth we the, the historical jesus really entered our time and space yeah and uh, you know, if you're looking for the evidences, you know, that no serious historian would ever doubt the historicity of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You, you've got this real historical event. You've got the explanation of it through the Bible that puts the sense uh, to it. And wherever it can be checked up, I've tried, you know, I've tried to check it up. I've tried to be intellectually honest. Yes. In understanding the Christian faith and what it declares uh, that there is no, you know, I want to follow the truth. What what are, what are the other stories that you follow? It, do I go after what I want for myself? Is that a way that is productive, that's helpful, that ends in joy? No, rather I I, I now look around and, and and you look at can look at the other stories and see they lack substance. Yeah. Uh, but by God's grace, I, I thank Him for the truth that's revealed through His Word, the truth that can be uh, checked out intellectually but also the truth that can be felt and appreciated and experienced not only in one's head but in one's heart yeah. that sense of fulfillment and joy of knowing the living god who created uh all things what a, what what a privilege um yeah to, to know jesus as, as lord and savior the highest privilege we could know <laughs> wonderful thank you so much for that now you grew up in london uh, and I noted that of the 10 O-levels that you did, half were language related, Greek, Latin, French, English language and English literature. Uh, give us a taste of uh, of your upbringing, uh, your home and, and school life, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. When we talk of O-levels, it immediately gives an insight into how old one is, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. And it, it sounds like I'm some great linguist. I'm not. I really <laughs> am not. I I. I, I dislike languages, learning languages. I have no particular skill in that area. So please, uh, no one get any idea that um, I, I'm some intellect. I, I'm really jealous, actually, of people who have these gifts. Hmm. Uh, some people just take to languages like ducks to water. And 
I notice it's often the musicians. That's another thing. I, I said I played the guitar and drums badly, and that's absolutely true. And I'm so jealous of those who have these uh, musical gifts, and that often seems to be tied into language gifts as well. So please don't think uh, I'm a I'm, I'm a, a bright lad linguistically. I'm, I'm certainly uh, not there. I was I was blessed in as much as from an early age I. Uh, I, with a sense of self-awareness, I thought to myself, what do I want to do with my life? And really just overwhelmingly thought the best thing I could do is serve God and speak his truth. You know, what is better than that? That's just terrific. And uh, so I was also very blessed in the purposes of God that I went to a school that had a sort of a classical education. So you would do things like Greek and Latin. And though I didn't enjoy doing them, they proved helpful uh, in future uh, experiences. So um, I, I went to a school which is now a fee-paying school, but at the time was uh, what they called a direct grant grammar school. So a really poor kid like me, and I was a really poor kid. My dad, being a minister, was not well paid at all. In fact, the school outfitters for the school I went to you, was Harrods, and you needed to go to Harrods to get the school suit. And um, my parents couldn't afford it. So they looked around and found a secondhand version that I could I could wear. And this was a this was shorts and uh, a jacket in a particular weave. And then I went to school uh, on the first day and realized that all the kids, bar one other kid, were wearing the school suit, which was long trousers in a different weave. And there I was, actually a fairly tall lad, uh, wearing these shorts. And and so, like, I was marked out yeah. as the, you know, the, 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 the poor kid. And I felt the poor kid. Uh, but I was still very blessed to go to a school that uh, had a good educational background and was able to uh, enjoy that. Brilliant. Now, you, you clearly had leadership skills um, early on being appointed as head boy of your school. <laughs> um, and whilst at the university in Durham, uh, where you read modern history, you were also president of your college, St. John's College there, and chair of the committee of senior men and women. Um, was leadership something that came naturally to you? And also, did your studies of modern history uh, shape your understanding of leadership at all? I... <laughs> I wonder, I, I think probably two things maybe shape leadership. One, I was the eldest, and I think often it's the case, the firstborn in the family, for whatever reasons, and we'll let the psychologists and others get down to that, um, are leaders. But the second thing was because I was this uh, sort of marked out kid from an early age, and because I was a, a Christian and was happy to take my stand as a Christian, you had to stand on your own two feet. You had to think for yourself. Um, and I think that develops a, a degree of uh, awareness of where you want to go, of, of leadership. And uh, maybe it was through that. Maybe there is a degree of, you know, being part of the DNA. I I, I, I don't know. I, I do tend to think that leadership, though there's a lot you can teach, there is actually quite a bit that is just... Uh, part of your personality and character yes yeah 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 absolutely and as as for the modern history and did i learn any lessons of leadership there by and large the people you read about in modern history are, are not the leaders you would want to emulate 
so I don't think I got any leadership lessons uh, from that. No, that's maybe unfair. I think there are, you know, there, there certainly are great leadership lessons in some people, but uh, you, you maybe don't dip in there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know from my experience being in the military, you know, one would study great generals, you know, Montgomery and Slim and, you know, all these people and you draw out the lessons and you go, oh, I want to be like him, you know. Um, but yeah, I think leadership is, well, we'll come on to it because yeah, uh, yeah. I know it's, it's a real heart, a passion of yours. Now, having left uni, you became a librarian in the early 1980s and at the same time, a lay pastor at Summerstown Mission Evangelical Church in Tooting in London. So how did you go from reading history at Durham to becoming a librarian and a lay pastor? How did that work? <laughs> yeah, it's like life in the fast lane, isn't it? <laughs> librarian. Um, actually, the re reason I did it is in my, I I tried to get into Cambridge. I I, I tried to get a scholarship to, to read English at Cambridge. So I, I, I took a term out at the end, you know, in a, what was called third year six to do that. Uh, I didn't get it actually because of languages that I, I, I wasn't uh, not good enough at, at foreign languages to read English. And uh, but it then left me with a period of time to try and get some employment before I took up my place at Durham. And it uh, well, a job came up to to work in a library as a library clerk. And I thought, great, you know, great. It just gives me some employment for for while I'm doing that. And then I started thinking, actually, I like this. I like books anyway. Um, I, I, I liked the, all the skills that were required for librarianship. And at the same time, uh, when I was talking to my parents about going into ministry, what I should do, and they were saying, well, don't go to a Bible college, because at the time, the Bible colleges that were available in the UK maybe weren't that strong at producing pastor preachers. And they were saying, go to a secular university, do a degree, um, get some job qualifications and work. Mm. You know, understand what life is. And good advice. Uh, good advice. <laughs> yeah. And the only things really you could qualify in in a year were either teaching or librarianship. Now, teaching sounds like it's that teaching's hard work, you know. And uh, I was no fool. And I thought, I, I want something that will allow, ena enable me to focus on gospel ministry and, and gospel work. Um, and librarianship really fitted that well and so the bosses that I'd had for that 10-month period while I was waiting to take up my university place actually um, I think they saw maybe some skills that I may have had and so they encouraged me and said Let, yeah we'll we'll you know help look after you if you want to go down that line um, so yeah I, I, I went down that line again it was all with a view to ministry what was going to help me for ministry yeah. uh and so i became a librarian and wonderfully actually i worked for Wandsworth council and i worked as a the librarian to the housebound and disabled mm. which meant i traveled around in a little van uh taking large print mills and boone romances to to lots of ladies and <laughs> you know it it was a wonderful job uh i loved my client base and i loved the opportunity to learn more about interacting with people um so in god's goodness yeah that's why i did yeah and it sounds as though you um you were really um um your your heart for ministry was coming through early on i mean it, it sounds as though you know there was no doubt yeah uh, ministry was something that you wanted to do from an early age i mean yeah. you know i mean that's 
I can understand it. You know, some people say, well, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be going the army. I want to become this, a dentist. But it was quite clear that yeah. pastoral ministry or, 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 or that was really important to you from an early age you know yeah and, and so for example at university that the all the options that i had would be christian related options you know i, I was just thinking how is this going to help me to communicate the good news of jesus better yeah 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 so after your time in tooting uh in the late 80s you became the senior pastor of kensington evangelical church in bristol uh, a truly international church with 32 nationalities and some 400 people in the congregation uh, when you arrived at that church, you were you were the guy, you were the sole worker. Uh, and by the time you left in 2012, there were some 10 or so paid staff and um, lots more staff volunteers. And, and I'd like to sort of focus in a little bit on your time in Bristol, if I may. Um, what enabled you to grow the team as you did? What strategies did you employ to do this i'm um, worth saying i came via i was an assistant for three years um to to a guy called bev savage in a church in plumstead which was southeast london so we lived there and from those three years then went into uh being seen well i say senior pastor the only pastor yeah. uh, at kensington baptist church uh there in bristol so and i benefited from that enormously i saw a guy who did have uh, real vision and insight and so I, I I love that 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 helped me in understanding what it meant to lead a church and so in in terms of what I saw my job with this relatively large church to do relatively old-fashioned church uh, when I went to them I said you're in the 1950s and I think my job is to try and get you into the next millennium um, I, I, I'd say a number of things number one vision to actually see what God intends you to do. I think vision is absolutely vital and actually communicating uh, that vision. Love. I think you've got to love people and people have to know that you love them. You know, you're not doing this for yourself. You're not doing it as a job. It's not. You you love people. And then in terms of growing the team, I think there is a case of you look for people where you can match their gifts to opportunities. Uh, and we saw opportunities and God in his grace uh, brought across our paths a number of really gifted people that I was able to get alongside and say come and work for us uh, we'll find the money somehow to employ you and and use your gifts and in God's grace and goodness we we did grow we grew the staff team and because of growing the staff team we grew the church numerically and that therefore that meant you were growing the church's financial base as well so we were able to support that size of team brilliant so vision love and uh, matching people's gifts to opportunities. Brilliant. Now, during the time that you were in Bristol, uh, you planted four churches. Um, why was this important to you? Um, and was there a core DNA that you wanted to implant in those churches? And what did you see God doing through this church planting initiative over a period of time? Because that, I mean, that's a pretty, yeah. You know, it, it's it's a struggle enough running one church, but then to to reach out and plant other churches and find venues and people to take that on and and the running of it and I mean that's huge. Yeah, and in one sense, I was almost an accidental church planter because we uh, 
Kensington Baptist Church is uh, an inner city church in an area called Easton, the poorest, one of the poorest areas in Bristol. Uh, it was on a road called Stapleton Road, which was recognised by many as one of the five most dangerous roads in the whole of the UK. So it was a wonderful place to to have a church and to pass a church. It was it was a great place, but it was this old big Victorian monstrosity, and we realised we needed to to use the building well, we needed to do a major refurb on it. So we needed to get out of the building for 10 months while it was being you know, refurbed. And we went to a, uh, a, a place about 10 minutes walk from us. We, in fact, we did march out from the church to go in one Sunday morning when we were transferring. And it, it was a, a youth club, it was where they did uh, trained boxers actually and it, w there were a couple of occasions when I preached out of the side of a, a boxing ring that they'd erected for the purposes uh, and hadn't had time to uh, take down and uh, so we went there and then I was thinking when we move back after 10 months do we just move out of that area and thinking we need to do something we need to leave a gospel witness there so it was a case of saying um let's think about this church planting wasn't the in thing then at all it, there wasn't a methodology for it but we just knew that we wanted there to be a gospel witness for that area that particular area of bristol where we had been holding our services for 10 months and so i there was a great guy neil todman who uh we said neil I want you to be a church planter uh for us and he eventually understood that that was his gifts uh and uh, so he took that on and uh, it was a case of it really was no more than saying look let's find a group of people who could do this who could uh communicate the good news of jesus christ yeah. um that church plant after about three or four years actually morphed into another plant we realized actually uh, because i was ignorant at the time of some of the major issues of church planting uh, one of which is location 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 that actually where we'd planted back into wasn't the best place. Hmm. Um, so I, I had a chat with Neil and we, um, as it were, closed that plant down, but started another plant in an area of South Bristol where there was a real need and where Neil was superbly qualified. Hmm. Um, and then the two later plants that we did in round about 2010 were there because God in his goodness had given us such growth that uh, we were full, we were a large church building, but we were filling that out. And there's a rule of thumb that says if you're over 75% full, then you're too full. You've got to get rid of people, basically. And so we decided under God that we would do that. There were two areas we, we'd researched and said we need to plant churches in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what we did. We That meant probably about 50 to 60 of our own folks went into these two different plants that we did at the same time. Yeah, brilliant. And, and was there like a core DNA of those, as, as you sort of sent them out, I guess they were sort of representatives of who you were and what was important yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's almost inevitable because the guys who were the church planters, we trained up, um, they shared that. So the Bible was at the heart of what we did right. and the love of Jesus was at the heart of what we did. Right. So um, that if, if you want to talk about a core DNA, yeah. it's that they went into different contexts 
one of our church plants went into a place called Emerson's Green. It's still there, the village church doing really, really well. But that's a more middle class, new housing estate. Uh, the other one we uh, put into the centre of Bristol because we realised that with a city's expansion, um, people had left the area. Um, but then there had been that move back into the city. The churches had gone, but there wasn't any gospel witness. So we put in a, a group there that was more representative of the young uh, single professionals that was needed mm. in that area. So same DNA, but just a different application for the context in which they found themselves. Yeah. What, I mean, a couple of things. What did you see God doing during that time? I mean, are there any things that stand out for you specifically? It... it <laughs> The rapid growth early on, they we they grew about two hundred percent within the first year, which was remarkable. Um, which also, if, if I could say, bore out our research. We we realised there was a need to put mm. in a gospel community uh, that would reflect the love of Jesus and and speak out the love of Jesus. So. Mm uh it, it confirmed the research which i was quite pleased with the most interesting thing i discovered and again it's just my stupidity as a leader that the mother church kensington baptist church um those who hadn't been sent then almost looked upon them as selves as second degree citizens you know <laughs> all the action was happening elsewhere and they were saying what about us and slow guy as i am i suddenly thought yeah we, we i've got to re-establish re-embed why we are here in eastern in this tough multiracial, multicultural area and re-establish uh what we do there and god in his mercy and grace gave us lots of opportunities to do that in working uh, with the incoming refugee uh, groups and and the like and actually engaging with the poorer area that we found ourselves in and giving the mother church a fresh sense of vision and purpose for for why it was there yeah fantastic now whilst in bristol you were the founder of a number of church fellowships uh the southwest gospel partnership the eastern jubilee trust and in your spare time, if you had any, uh, were chair of the Bristol Prom Praise for four years. What was driving you to establish these outreach organisations? And what were some of the blessings and challenges of directing and overseeing them? Um, I, I, gospel fellowship is really important. And what we're about is not our name or the name of our church, but rather we want to see men and women. We want to see men and women saved in, in Bristol. Um, and I, if I could say, I say this carefully, but I couldn't care uh, what that gospel church was. I, I'd want that gospel church to be preaching the the gospel, and I might disagree with it in some areas of its ecclesiology. But the main thing is let let's get the gospel out there, and let's do it in fellowship with each other. Mm. Um, there's there's enough sinners to go around, so let let's you know let's share these things let's talk to one another let's encourage one another mm. um and, and so that was just a very natural thing for uh, the southwest uh, gospel partnership and the what we did bristol fellowship for evangelical churches and stuff like that as mm. for the jubilee trust that was purely a a charity that we uh, started to serve the incoming groups that we saw were living around our community particularly uh, somali groups and so we developed things which 
would serve educational purposes and help and support. Um, and if again, I just have to say, I you know I have the ideas, but there are wonderful teams of people who you know without them these things would not have happened. Who are passionate, who are committed, who who did this in remarkable ways. So um, it, it, it's nothing of me. It's it's all of the Lord and of them uh, in in terms of the flourishing of, of well, these things. And well, in terms of Bristol Prom Praise, well, that was just, I mean, it was already underway and just someone said, Andy, why don't you do something like this? So I, I did for a few years, but that that's that's not here nor there. In a way. <laughs> yeah, but just, to, you know, you mentioned these wonderful teams of people, but teams need leaders. Teams need leaders and vision, which you've, which you've mentioned. And, and that is a gift in itself to be able to set the course and, and paint the picture and say, this is, this is what we need to be about. So... So that's you know <clears throat> I wouldn't underestimate your your role in that. Now I mentioned that you you uh, you love preaching in the introduction, um, and I understand you've had the opportunity of speaking in many countries around the world. Um, <clears throat> do you have your own definition of preaching? Um, no, <laughs> but uh, what I would say, preaching when when you read about preaching in the bible you have preaching and you have teaching preaching um is almost always um in the new testament that of declaring the gospel um it has the sense in in the greek of being a herald um and so preaching has a, a particular focus to making known the good news of jesus christ um in, in our day it often gets bundled together and i'm, I'm not objecting to that to teaching because if you're teaching the Bible, by and large, the Bible is about that great big salvation story that runs throughout. And therefore, you are going to be speaking God's truth. Um, but I, I, I would just probably want to make uh, a distinction there. Basically, I, I think preaching, teaching is trying to make clear what God has already said. Excellent. Trying to make clear what God has already said. <clears throat> OK, I like that. What are the core elements of preaching that you would wish to teach others who were setting out on this journey? You've you've got a lot of experience, a lot of different contexts of preaching. Um, yeah, what what are the key things that you would want to pass on to others? To use a couple of technical words, there is exegesis. Exegesis is where you go to the Bible and you mine out what is there, and that's what you present. The other technical word is eisegesis, which is where you read into the text. You read your own ideas into the text and trying to justify your own ideas uh, from the text. Um, and hopefully uh, you, you might get the sense that I'm really in favour of the former and, and not the latter. You know, we really what does the passage say? <laughs> not what do you want to say or where can you find somewhere to hang a really good story? But what does the passage say? And um, though it sounds simple, sadly, so often I've heard folks preaching and they, they are not actually handling what the Bible is saying. Um, and one of the major issues that you do when you come to God's word is say, well, what's the author's intention here? God used, it, used human authors in real situations. So what was the intention 
of the author. Why was that book written? Why was that letter written? And uh, unpack what is there rather than trying to be creative and trying to think that you could devise something better than God himself would be speaking out. So, um, I, I, yeah, there, there are there are lecture courses on preaching that would take uh, many an hour and I'm thankful for them. But in summary, you know, it's we want to handle the Bible wisely, speak out what the Bible says. So understand the genre, understand the author's intention, um, look at it carefully and uh, make that clear to people and then apply it in their own situations. Amen. Amen. It sounds a bit to me like inductive Bible study, but uh, <laughs> it does, more, doesn't it? <laughs> more, more about later. Um, how do you go about preparing to preach yourself? We've, as I said, you know, there'll be people listening to this podcast who may be on that journey and you've done a lot of this and i think you know they'd be interested to hear how you how you go about preparing to preach well hopefully you know there one might be working through a particular book i love regular expository ministry so you might be going through a particular book or letter or something like that and um so i i would if i'm you know going through a passage i'd, I'd want to take a a sense of what is the natural divisions within the passage itself uh, it's not always wise to say well i'm going to preach this verse nor i'm going to preach this chapter uh, they don't always tie in with the thought progressions that you actually see contained within the word so you just have to work out you know what is being said maybe in this paragraph and and preach on that paragraph and what i would say is you read that through uh, the whole maybe the whole book a whole letter a number of times maybe you might read it through in a number of translations as well and you begin to think for yourself what this passage is saying and i think once you've done that you can then start adding the additional tools that may be there to fill out so you you'd go to your commentaries or your bible software you know i use logos bible software which is a superb tool but there are there are others available uh, on the market and uh, I would be wanting to try and work out, yeah, you know, what is God saying? And I would be trying to filter it through me. So I start by saying, what is God saying to me? This isn't a an impersonal exercise. This is the living word of God. So first and foremost, what is it saying to me? And actually, if I could put it like this, my best sermons are those which have preached to me first and foremost. Um, and I see it there. But then also I want to do it through the filter of those I'm preaching to understanding um, the needs, the issues that that people in front of me are going to be facing. That's why local church ministry is, is better than sort of parachurch ministry, because you can go into different settings and not necessarily know where everyone is coming from. Whereas yeah. uh, when you're in a pastoral ministry, you would by and large know what some of the things that your people are are going through because there's no point just saying this is what this passage teaches the so what question uh, towers then above it so what what does that mean for me living in you know this this part of 20 the 2020s you know um how does that relate and so i've got to take what god says and and and, and understand how it can be relevantly accurately faithfully applied uh, to those that I'm going to have there and and the way I present it must be commensurate with that there must be 
this isn't an intellectual exercise this is life and death at times and and that must come across in the way that i communicate that it must come across with if i could say enthusiasm and life and passion because this is god's word yeah. and this is the most important thing you could ever engage with so um yeah, yeah brilliant. I, I brilliant. I, I love what you said there. I, I, I mean, the sense I'm getting is you're getting alone. You're getting alone with God. You're getting alone with the Word. You're you're setting the passage in its context. You talked about reading. If it's you're going through a letter, you're you know you're setting it in context. You're not taking it out of context. And then and isn't it wonderful when you do that? God starts speaking to you, and then you're sharing what God has shown you to others in in a relevant uh, yeah. and applicable way. And, and probably for me as the preacher, the most important time I have is when I've done all that study, when I know the passage, when I know the people, it's when I'm away, I would then walk away from that and be alone and then say, okay, without any notes, without any books, what is God saying through this? I, you know, now you've mastered the stuff. What is God saying through this? How does this relate and apply i try to give myself time to um look at a a structure and outworking that would be appropriate that would be natural to me and natural to my hearers and that takes time away from the books once you master your materials but then have time set aside where you're thinking okay what what now you just think it through to me that's how often it, it, it operates i would yeah. then just uh, spend an hour or two just what does this mean what have i captured from this brilliant brilliant fantastic well those of you that are listening i hope that's going to be helpful to you and your preaching now do you have any particular memories of preaching overseas that you'd like to share <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah there have been some great opportunities i i remember uh, we went a couple of times to Papua New Guinea, into the middle of Papua New Guinea, not far from the Papua border. And so it was, it was jungle situation. It was a mission hospital. And um, again, you may or may not know that longhouses were uh, are, are the ways that Papua New Guineans would, would meet and gather. And uh, so I was speaking and it's, it's the only occasion where people had come for three or four days through the bush walking through the bush to come to uh here and i was just thinking wow what an incredible privilege but then i realized when the folks were there and i was i was beginning to talk i was thinking i'm not sure this is connecting and realized many of them had no bible uh, some of them couldn't read and so suddenly i was having to scale right back and talk about the Bible itself and how it's put together and its big story. Uh, it was sort of Bible 101. Mm. But, you know, that was such a privilege. Mm. That was just such an incredible privilege. And to see people getting it, sat on the floors uh, in this longhouse, dark wooden longhouse. And, and just we had wonderful fellowship. We actually had a, a you know, they finished with a wonderful meal uh together it, it yeah it, it was remarkable the other time it was in china i i, I was in china and uh, a university there whose name i will not reveal but uh we were asked to speak and to share the, the leading question was what do you do and so i said and this was there were about 100 chinese 
students there and I was saying, oh, I've got the most important job in the world. My job is more important than any prime minister or president. So I, I and suddenly I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up, I've got their attention and realizing I'm speaking into a context in which they had no knowledge of God, of truth. Communism had sort of wiped the slate clean. There was a vacuum. And I was realize, realizing this was like a missionary situation where you were having to be very careful what you taught, that what you taught was accurate and true and relevant uh, for them. And we had a wonderful time of simply uh, articulating the gospel in a context in which there was no understanding of God's word. So it wasn't a, this was a lesson from Lystra. Uh, it wasn't a lesson from Pisidian Antioch. In other words, I wasn't saying, well, of course, the Bible says this. That would have meant nothing. So you you start from a different position. You start from God as creator. Yeah. And it's it just wonderful to work towards Jesus with uh, with them. So, yeah, very precious. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Now, you've held a number of positions in leadership, high positions in leadership in a number of different organizations, including the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, European Leadership Forum, Global Connections, um, huge network of 300 churches uh, with a passion for mission. A um, couple of questions related to this. Why have you made yourself available in this way? Um, and how has your work with these organisations increased your understanding of and faith in God? And what, I, leadership, what leadership lessons yeah. have you learned along the way that you'd like to pass on to others? Um. I think we realize in the big picture of things, God gives us gifts and we're to use those gifts, um, whatever that, that may be. So I think we have a uh, a responsibility to give back. Um, selfishly, I've always found that there is great personal benefit and stimulation when you work with others in that way. Um, and particularly when you work with others who you won't necessarily agree on everything. I think that is so tremendously helpful um, who who have a different maybe ecclesiology, different understanding of maybe the gifts of the spirit or baptism or something like that. And so you're you, 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 you're made to think about your own views. You're taken back to scripture. And that's just wonderful. And when you can do that in a in a context of love and trust and oneness going after Jesus for, for you know, wanting the world to know, um, you know, it's it's it. it, it, it yeah, it's a no-brainer to do something um, like that. And I think also though doing stuff like that makes you see how little you are and it makes you realise how great God is. The work is massive. We're just, you know, one tiny speck, but serving the, the living God together. And I, I that, that's been a blessing. Um, yeah. And as for leadership lessons learnt along... Um, the way in all of this um as a preacher I, I tend to alliterate so forgive me but i always argue that you know um if, if god hadn't intended us to alliterate he would have never given us the letter p so that, that's by the by but actually let me give you some c's actually um in, in terms of leadership what i uh, understand about leadership i would say character is first and foremost it's who you are it's not what you say it's not what you do it's character um i'd say there's confidence confidence in god's word 
confidence in God's work. Um, I'd say there needs to be compassion. That always underlines. You've got to love the people you're dealing with. Don't sling grenades. Uh, just love men and women. Realise that we're all broken and you just have to look in your own heart to know that. Um, yeah. Context, I think, is really important. Not only context in the, as it were, the the, the Bible, the, the verses that we handle, but the context in where we are physically and where others come from. Uh, understanding that, um, if, I, if I could say carefully, I've, I've, I've known a number of church, American church planters, and they've been great. Oh, for the vast, great, godly, sacrificial guys. But at times, some of them have assumed that the context in the UK is the same as the context in the States. It isn't. We may speak the same language, but we don't share the same culture. Yeah. Uh, context is absolutely vital. Um, I'd say company. You don't do it on your own. You put a company together. You get a team. You work with a team and you look for the gifts that you need in that team. I would say communication is vital in leadership. Vital for those that you uh, work up, you know, the company that you, you've put together, the team, but, but also those that you are ministering with. And so I think there are times where you need to, uh, many times where you just need to talk and listen and just say, look, this is the data I'm working from. Do you have any other ideas? Do you have any other inputs in? And, and then probably the final thing would be casting. And by casting, I mean casting a vision, saying, hey, guys, you know, what about this? Do you think God could use this? Could we go in this direction? Do you think this would be something that would be helpful? Um, I think people will do great things for great vision. Um, trouble is, at times we don't cast that vision big enough. If if our vision is just to survive, you know, it's going to be then last one out of the church, turn the lights off. But have let's have uh, visions bigger uh, than that. Brilliant. You remind me as you're going through all those C's um, of Jesus. Actually, if you put Jesus across each one of those character, confidence, compassion. Context, company, communication, casting. Um, that reminds me of Jesus, actually. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is <laughs> this is not rocket science. This yeah. is it's there in the word. Yeah. Now you were a contributor on BBC Thought for the Day for some ten years. Um, how did you condense what you said into just a few minutes? Um, and did you get any feedback on that? Um, yeah, and and. and there's there's a whole number of different thought for the days let me just say this was not national radio for thought for the day this was local radio uh bristol stuff um when they asked me to come on they said what day would you like to come on so i would do sort of three months and they would and i said i'd like to do monday and the reason i wanted to do monday is it gave me the news stories from friday saturday sunday to work on uh, people didn't like doing Mondays because they thought, first, I, I love Mondays. I had three days uh, to be looking for topics arising from the news. Um, I kept to time. That was vital. You don't abuse the opportunity. Mm. And uh, I went for one issue. You mm -hmm. can't preach the whole gospel in, you know, it was 90 seconds or two minutes that generally speaking you had. You just go for one issue that may have cropped up in the news, you made the point. And if I could say, I topped and tailed quite deliberately. So you would start off with maybe something sharp, relevant about the story itself. 
I would go on to make the point, which was maybe one gospel point, which might have been quite sharp. Uh, but then I would, if I could put it like this, I would protect it. I, I signed off uh, by maybe going back to the story um, because I learned from experience that the presenter, if he felt I was getting too much into the hearts and lives of folks, he would he would come and destroy what I'd said. Whereas if I put at the end something that was about the news story, um, he wouldn't, He that's what he would come back to. That's what he would link to rather than yeah. the essence of what I was saying. So yeah, that was just one of the techniques that, yeah, that I really. developed. And yeah, I, I, I got feedback. I got feedback from Christians who were saying, you know, gl glad to hear it. And I, I got feedback from actually a lot of the radio professionals themselves who began engaging with some of the stuff uh we were saying so yeah it it was a it, it was a great opportunity yeah. for those 10 years to do something That's like that fantastic now you and your wife a lecture on marriage and family life you've been married for over 40 years congratulations for that um so you have experience of marriage um a couple of questions related to this if i may um why do we see such a breakdown in marriage these days is there a way back would you counsel couples against living together before getting married if so why and what advice would you give to those starting out on marriage so a couple of questions related to the whole marriage yeah. topic. sure i'm i think we see a fear of commitment i think that's part of today's society that the millennials in particular have a fear of uh commitment there is a fear of missing out um you know so if i marry you i i, I might miss out on the, the 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 person i was supposed to marry um yeah which basically is nonsense because love is primarily a choice not a feeling um so in in being married you may not always feel in love there will be times where you might have disagreements and you've got to work out because basically you're two self-centered individuals coming together. Um, I'm actually amazed that the divorce rates aren't higher than they are. Um, you know, two self-centered people, boy, you know, there's a tinderbox. Um, so understanding that marriage is a choice. So every day I determine I'm going to love my wife. Um, now, the vast majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's accompanied by a great feeling. I love her to bits, uh, but it's not the feeling that's primary. It's it's the it's the choice uh, that's that's primary, and and that I suppose also then kicks into um, living together before getting married because if if it is by choice, if there is this commitment to another person. Um, it, it strikes me that if you are living together saying, is this going to work, then it brings in issues of trust. It brings in issues of commitment. It brings in even issues of comparison. If you say, well, maybe I, I could get on better with another person. Let's let's see if this works out. Um, mm. I think comparison in relationships can be a dreadful thing. Whereas if you, you you're working through with the one person i'm committed to that one person we're going to work this through 
we're going to learn together and I'm not going to be comparing you to three or four other girlfriends that I might have had um, in the past. And again, I, it's statistically, it's well known that you're going to be less likely to succeed in a marriage relationship if you live together before getting married than afterwards. So if you want a good, strong, committed relationship, basically the stats are very clear. Don't live together beforehand. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a good thing. And, and you say, what advice would you give? Um, well, again, if let me give advice to Christians. That's probably as much as I, uh, I'd, I'd want to do at this point. I would say pray together and read the Bible together. Probably the two most important things in your marriage. Because if you interact at that level, then that's a deep level. That means that opens up a real big sharing. So, you know, every morning with Kath and myself, you know, we say to each other, what can I pray for? Uh, and we do. We And we read the Bible through together. Um, and we've just gone through reading the Psalms to, together. And, and and then how can I pray for you? Um, that's really what binds together. Yeah. And um, I think yeah. that's, that's brilliant because you can't be praying regularly together, as you've suggested, if, if you're having arguments, because, yeah. of course, you, you, you know, every morning yeah. my wife, Molly and I do the same as you, you know, you, if there's that tension there, then you can't pray together and you can't yeah. do that. So the converse is true. If you are praying together and you are reading, then, you yeah. know, these issues will be dealt with. So I think I think that's wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, fantastic. Now, you. um have played sport representative sport what do you enjoy about sport <laughs> oh sport's great uh it, it's real life drama you know everything else is scripted you know you, you look at all the other entertainment means and they're, they're all scripted um whereas sport uh you you get the most one you don't know what's going to happen basically and that adds to the whole feel and emotion um i don't recently i was it i don't know quite when you're going to put this podcast out nigel but india versus pakistan in the t20 world cup that was i saw the last over and you just couldn't make it up the drama was stunning and the passion that goes with that drama so oh yeah i i, I love watching sport whatever sport whether it's rugby or football or cricket or amen you, amen. you name it for me it's tennis and roger federer Losing yeah. to Djokovic when he had two championship points. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. 99% of the audience, I think, wanted Fed to win. And he yeah. was 15 up. And he lost it. You know, how yeah. did he do that? So and that's I'm, what I'm makes sports sport, isn't it? Amen. Now, my wife, Molly, and I had the absolute joy of coming to your church in Bristol many years ago um, and running a short seminar on inductive Bible study. Uh, what was important to you about this method of study that you wanted to share with your church? Uh, and would you recommend it to others? Absolutely. Because there's a seriousness with inductive Bible study. You're saying, let's open the word of God. Let's look at the word of God. And I think what's really important in a Bible church is not only that the Bible is preached from the front, but the Bible is preached to one another. So everyone in your church family uh, is able to handle God's word 
for themselves. One of the great Reformation things was what was called the perspicuity of Scripture, that Scripture is clear, that we can expect to come to the Bible and know the Bible and apply it to ourselves. And, and I think that's what inductive Bible study does. It says, take the Bible seriously, open the Bible up and uh, read it for yourself. And it's amazing that some folks don't do this and don't ask questions of the text. Mm. Um, whereas handling the Bible is not something just for the professionals. It's for every single follower of Jesus Christ. This is God's word is God speaking. That's why it's actually so important uh, that we listen to him. And what I find fascinating, Nigel, is that one of the most effective gospel tools now, and, and it, you will find uh, Christianity Explored and others saying this, is the word one to one. It is just people opening the Bible with other people and saying, what does it say? And uh, the wonderful thing is God speaks through his word. He authored it and we can expect that he will make it clear to those who, who come to, to him looking for help. Yeah. Um, Amen. Amen. And, and I, I was one of those guys who who um, who came across uh, this tool, if you like, of, of slowing down that you were talking about before. See, what does it say? What does the text actually, what, what you think it says, but what does it actually say? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and um, yeah, so if you're listening and you, you, you have a heart to, to get into the word of God, as, as Andy said, seriously, I love what you said, you're taking the Bible seriously. Uh, then if you, if you're interested in taking the Bible seriously, then please get in touch with us at precept and we would be delighted to help you and um, we've got lots of stuff online on our youtube channel as well um we're coming into land um shortly uh why and and you've expressed this pretty pretty clearly throughout i have to say uh but i ask everybody this question why is the word of god so important to you yeah i, I as i just said this is god speaking and, and basically there can't be anything more important than god speaking uh so uh, people say, oh, I want to hear a word from the Lord. Well, go to the Bible. <laughs> That's why when we come to read the scriptures in our Sunday services, I think that has to be done really well, because if I could say it carefully, that is the only time we know that God is speaking for sure <laughs> as the Bible is read. Now, we pray that with God's help, you know, that his truth will be made clear through the preaching of that word. But the only time you can be sure that God is speaking is when his word is read. Um, and yeah, what what's more important than that? Amen. Amen. Do you have a favorite book in the Bible? That was a, yeah, I, I don't, maybe John's gospel. I only say that a, a, a few years back, I wrote a little commentary on John's gospel. So I, having done more work in it, I got to love it and uh, see its shape and its pattern. And you see the genius that goes into these books of the Bible. It's it's just marvellous to have time to look more closely. Amen. What about a favourite verse? <laughs> yeah, that was a hard, hard one because you, you'd ask that question and, and I thought, yeah, there's loads. Um, probably Isaiah 41.10. Um, I've got it. I'm, I'm speaking to you from my office here in the church and I've got it right in front of me. Uh, so I look up to it from time to time. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, that's and again, good. the context is 
again, having said, let's take the context seriously. Yeah. Uh, I do believe that is God speaking to his uh, people. So there is application of that to, to my life. Do not fear. I am with you. Yeah. Wonderful. So what is next for Andy Patterson and how can we be praying for you? Thank you, Nigel. Um, I'm um, next week. Uh, and again, I'm not quite sure when the, the podcast will go out, but we've got the FIEC Leaders Conference and there's about a thousand of us gathering at Blackpool for the Leaders Conference. And um, about 18 months ago, I said to uh, the folks at FIEC, because I work 50% for Charlotte Chapel, I work 50% for FIEC as their um, mission director. And I said to them, look, um, time that you... Uh, got someone else in my place because I'm 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 66 now and I think uh, uh, time to move on. So I officially retire in eight days' time from the FIEC, uh, which has been one of the privileges of my life to serve them for these last uh, ten years uh, doing church planting. Um, and I'll I'll be speaking to uh, the conference on the Tuesday evening, the last evening. And I have that privilege of proclaiming Christ. So I then have to work out, I'll be continuing as a part-time pastor here at Charlotte Chapel, part-time associate pastor. And just looking at what that means um, for us, it's a next stage of, of, of life, um, maybe having a day or two now to be able to do some of the things I would like to have done uh, in it in the past and i'm feeling that that's right that's appropriate in the purposes of god so certainly we've got this significant change coming up for us brilliant brilliant well andy uh thank you so much for your time this morning i just think it's amazing it, it's clear it's just clear to me that god had his hand on you from a very young age um and you you submitted yourself to the purposes of god i have done for all these years you know and and just looking at all the different things that you've been involved with and initiated and helped to grow and seen happen um, is, and I know you would say this, is, is through the grace of God in your life. But you have, as it were, you put yourself on the altar of sacrifice and, and you've enabled him to work in and through you. And you, you, you've given everything. You've given your gifts, your time, your passion to serving the lord and what incredible fruit there has been as a result of that i'm I, it's very kind of you to say that nigel i but i'm a sinner i'm a failure i know my own heart only too well um anything that has been done has been done by his his grace it's been done in spite of me not because of me mm. he is good he is worth following god is good all the time and there are many ways oh how i wish i loved jesus more how i wish that i was more like him in in so many areas but the wonderful thing is that god takes screw-ups and failures and it, even a, a big sinner like me and and maybe there are things that he can use us for his glory uh for but he is he's good he can be trusted absolutely so he's the one we 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 look to amen 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 well thank you so much for being on the bible and me podcast really appreciate it and we'll be praying in these next days for you and what the lord 
has for you because as we know there's no uh, retirement in the kingdom mm. <laughs> so thank you so much thanks nigel blessings to you